following audio is from St. Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St. Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. The first reading is from Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The second reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 28. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, good evening, everyone. Great to be with you all today. If I'm an unfamiliar face to any of you, let me add my welcome to that of Zoe's. My name is Tom, I worship here at St Nick's and it's so wonderful to have you all with us this evening as we start this new sermon series on prayer. In that fashion, shall we start with a quick prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you that through your love and grace, we are able to boldly approach your throne and draw ever closer to you. We invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us this evening, Lord, as we ask those most ancient words. Teach us to pray. In your precious name. Amen. On Mount Athos, 2,000 metres above the Aegean Sea, Big bearded Orthodox monks are praying, as they have done for 1800 years. 30 miles north of Lagos, more than a million Nigerian Christians are gathering for a monthly prayer meeting at the vast campus of the redeemed Christian Church of God. Somewhere in Manhattan, a group of addicts on a 12-step programme are meeting, seeking through prayer and meditation to improve their relationship with God. High in the Himalayas, bells are chiming, strings of coloured prayer flags dancing against sapphire skies. Deep in the forests of giant redwood and Douglas fir on California's lost coast, nuns are keeping vigil beside the river where salmon and steelhead swim. So goes Pete Greek in his book How to Pray. A book dedicated to asking two very simple but very life-changing questions 
Why pray? And how do I do it? I don't know about you, but prayer is perhaps one of those things I do most often, but then most often don't understand what's happening. A regularly strange, powerful, mysterious, odd, confusing, elevating, frustrating, peaceful, sacred experience. Maybe you share in some of those descriptions. Maybe you've got your own words. Maybe you've never prayed before. Or maybe you're watching this and already are going, wait, Tom, listen. I'm a pro at praying. When I pray, gosh, even God gets impressed. What's in this for me? Well, over the next eight weeks, we're going to be exploring prayer together as a church family, guided through by this wonderful book, How to Pray, by Pete Greig. And in true Blue Peter fashion, here's one I found earlier. Before we even get going tonight, I would really recommend you getting hold of this book if you want to. You can buy them very easily online or nag a friend who's already got one. We've got multiple in our house, so give me a shout if you want a copy. There are many, many books, as I'm sure you can imagine, that have been written on prayer. But Pete's book in particular is a brilliantly accessible but still rich way to deepen our prayer life with God. It's been so inspirational for my own prayer life, and I know in the prayer lives of others too. So yeah, please do consider getting it, not at least because it looks like Pete is paying me tons to plug his book through. It is great, I promise. And therefore, this evening, to start off this new series, we're going to be looking at the book's first chapter, as well as our two Bible readings that Emily read to us. All that could be gathered under one tagline. Why pray? Why are we told to spend time talking, listening, crying, shouting, worshipping a God who doesn't need our prayers to exist, who doesn't need our prayers to do his will? Why pray when we look at our world and see, for instance, the racial injustice and violence happening in America at the moment and wonder what can be done about it? Why pray when we can feel so far from God and yet are being told to trust in him anyway? Well, I want to begin to answer some of those questions with you all tonight by exploring two things. Firstly, that prayer reveals who God is, but then secondly, that prayer reveals who we are too. In other words, in Pete Greig's words, why prayer is our native language when being close to God. Sound all right? Well, let's turn to our first Bible reading from Luke's Gospel this evening to start exploring what prayer says about who God is. Now, I could be alone on this, but whenever I read the first verse from Luke 11, I always picture a scene where the disciples are watching Jesus praying at a distance and then whisper to one another, wow, holy smokes, isn't Jesus just the best? Look at him praying praying like we've never seen before. Guys, we really need to find out his secret. We, we need to pray as good as him. Maybe maybe we could ask, um, Lord, do, do excuse us, but teach us to pray. It's telling, isn't it, that even as these disciples will go on to, as Pete Greig writes, to become mighty prayer warriors, people who would spring Peter from a high security jail by the power of prayer. You can check that out in Acts 12. They started their prayer journey by realising their need 
to pray like their Lord, like Jesus. I think there's a temptation sometimes, isn't there, to do prayer only on our own terms, which can in turn turn it more into an echo chamber for us, rather than a meeting place with God. I mean, imagine having a conversation with someone where they dictate every aspect of it, the start, the end, the content, the context, making you silent, stopping any questions. To be honest, I've had some of those type of interactions before. They aren't fun. They aren't uplifting. They aren't really conversations at all. And I know I'm guilty of sometimes doing this with God too. Sitting down and saying, right, okay, Lord, I'm super busy, so I've only got like three minutes. So what I need is dot, dot, dot. Okay, great, done, thanks, bye. Yeah, I spoke with God, but did I talk to him? Did I listen to him? Did I pray like Jesus did? It seems that even right at the start of our first reading tonight, guys, we're challenged to think of prayer just like every other aspect of the Christian life as a reflection of Jesus, even if it takes asking time and time again, Lord, teach us to pray. That's what the disciples did. And thankfully at this point in our reading, Jesus doesn't go all mystical and start spouting parables up there's no tomorrow. He instead gives them what Pete Greed calls the greatest prayer in world history, the prayer we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, I don't want to talk too much about the ins and outs of these amazing three verses, mainly because Maeve will do a much better job than me at speaking exclusively about the Lord's Prayer right at the end of our sermon series together. But I did want to point out how this prayer that Jesus teaches to his disciples is one that shows why prayer is so important, particularly in how it reveals to us who God is. You see, the opening line in verse 2 gives us four glimpses of who the God to whom we pray is. He's Father, he's heavenly, he's holy or hallowed, and he's King. Firstly then, Father. I was once at a Soul Survivor Festival, one of the large Christian summer festivals for like 8,000 young people or something. And during one of the evening meetings, the leader of the festival, Mike Pulavachi, stopped midway through his sermon and asked if there was anyone called Daniel who had just then in that very moment prayed to God and said if you are my father Lord then call my name out loud. There was as I'm sure you can imagine a stunned silence across the meeting tent everybody anxious to see if such a Daniel was present. And about five minutes later, a little boy at the back stood up and began to run to the front, crying and shouting aloud, Yes, it's me. God, my father, knows my name. Daniel gave his life to Christ in that same moment. And it shows to me that praying to God as father is praying to a God who is ultimately relational in his love. He wants to get to know you. Father is not a title we use for God, it's a description of his character. He is loving, protecting, nurturing and forgiving, like so many parents across our world, but then so much more, ready to give everything of himself so that his children, you and me, 
may know how much we're loved. God the Father gave his Son Jesus to die, so that when he looks at us, he looks at one made holy. And so we can pray to God as our Father, because he now knows us intimately and asks us to be intimate with him. But secondly, and thirdly too, Jesus describes this fatherly God in verse 2 as both heavenly and hallowed, that is, holy. God is not an earthly parent. He is, as we sung a little earlier, King of kings, majesty, the God of heaven living in me. You, you certainly wouldn't describe your parent or parents like that, would you? Mine will get a very unhelpful ego boost. Though praying to God as Father gives us the permission to be open and honest with him, you don't need complicated theological words or a list of pre-prepared questions or even a particularly spiritual place. Disclaimer, you can talk to God on the loo. Praying to a God who is heavenly and holy is praying to a God who demands our worship, as well as our realisation that in prayer we are communing with the maker of the universe. Isn't it amazing, friends, that God gifts us with this privilege to be able to draw close to one so holy, but also to one who cares about every tiny detail of your life, because he's the one who fashioned you out of his hands. And that, of course, has its implications. Praying to God shouldn't be the same as having a conversation with a friend down the pub. It we're not coming to God as someone even remotely equal to him. But we can instead come to God in prayer so thankful that even in our human nature, he is wanting to get as close to us as possible. If prayer is only ever about getting what we want, like one long glorified shopping list, then we miss all this relationship, all this love and grace God wants to give. And we can forget that his will needs to go ahead of our own. That's why, fourthly, in verse 2, Jesus reveals God to be king, teaching his disciples to pray for your kingdom come. There's something, dare I say, scary, difficult sometimes to remove ourselves from the centre of prayer. To remember that it's God who's in control, that, that it's God whose kingdom needs to be built, not ours. I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone amongst us tonight of, of seeing recently the racial injustices and the violence happening in America as something so saddening and wrong. Seeing how the lives of black Americans don't seem to matter to those who hold all the power. How do we pray? In situations like this, why pray at all when the injustice is entrenched so deep? C.S. Lewis gives us some encouragement here in his book Letters to Malcolm, writing, When we feel blind, pray your kingdom come to see the world through God's eyes and to be shown his vision. These words, your kingdom come, Reveal to us a God who wants to build his kingdom on earth, which we can see throughout scripture is a kingdom of justice where the oppressed go free. 
And this is why we ought to continue praying for countries like the US, but it's also why Pete Grieve rightly states in his first chapter that prayer is nothing at all unless it is a matter of vast and all-consuming importance, a real relationship with God spent getting to know him daily. Prayer reveals to us who God is. And even these few verses from Luke 11 show us a God who wants to know him, wants us to know him as our loving and forgiving Father, as one who is heavenly and holy, and one whose kingdom we are being told to pray for. That's some God, and that's some privilege to get to know him through this gift of prayer. But hold on to your hats, we haven't quite finished yet. You see, in a lot of the first chapter of How to Pray, Pete Greed talks about how prayer also reveals a lot about who we are ourselves, going as far to say it's no exaggeration that to be human is to pray. If prayer reveals to us who God is, then how can prayer also reveal who we are too? Fortunately for us, Paul comes to our rescue here in his letter to the Roman Church, the second Bible reading that Emily read to us this evening, specifically its first verse, verse 26, where Paul, like a hammer to a nail, says plain and simple, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Right, hands up. Who finds prayer difficult? I'm expecting a seat of hands, guys. That is unless you're some kind of saint and then perhaps it should be you be giving this talk instead of me. We all find prayer a challenge. It's often difficult and we often get it wrong. Paul attempts to understand this by using the word weakness in this Bible passage. And I find that a really helpful term, actually, in, in three main ways. Firstly, that our weakness in prayer reveals to us our fallen humanity. Think back, if you can, to the first story of human sin way back in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve turn away from God by eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge, and what do they then do? They hide. They hide from God. They remove themselves from him, and he has to go searching, calling out, where are you? The loving relationship and the intimate communion with God, what we are also seeking to do through prayer, is broken down. And I think that feeds into the ways we can sometimes turn prayer into something it was never designed to be. A chore or a shopping list or a once in a blue moon call. A long way from the native language Pete talks so much about. And so secondly, our human weakness reveals to us our need of God and our need to trust in him. And I don't know how many of you have heard of the extraordinary lady Corrie ten Boom, whose autobiography The Hiding Place tells of her family's efforts to help Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust in World War II. I don't think I've cried at a book before as much as this one. It's truly stunning and powerful. And towards the end of the book, Corrie is mourning the death of her sister Betsy, and she asks this question. Is prayer my steering wheel or my spare tire? Corrie Ten Boone realised 
that even when suffering at the hands of human sin and evil, even when she in her weakness didn't know what to say, praying to God revealed her absolute need to depend on him. That's a question I need to ask myself time and time again. And for those of you who may be struggling with something at the moment, big or small, it's an encouragement that through prayer, we can spend that time resting and holding on to God, trusting, as Paul then writes in verse 28, to know that God is working all things for our good. Prayer reveals our weaknesses, yes, but it points us to God's unending strength even more. And that's why, thirdly, Paul explains in verse 28, that even in our weaknesses, when it comes to life and to prayer, God is interceding for us like a virtuoso pianist, weaving our bog standard melody into a phrase of pure musical delight. Indeed, God, through his Holy Spirit, is praying for you right now as I speak, praying in ways we can't fully imagine, praying so much better than we can ever hope to pray ourselves, all so that we may have that strength and that faith to love him today. That's grace poured out, friends. It reminds me of my one of my favourite Bible verses in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, prayer doesn't just reveal our need of God and the reality we all face of finding it difficult, but it reveals to us that amazing truth that God still uses those precise things, all those weaknesses, to bring us still ever closer to him and to perform the miracles that build his kingdom. Pete is right. To pray is to be human. That when life is great or tough or confusing or downright difficult, prayer reveals to us that we are God's loved and cherished children. And so, why pray? We've started our new sermon series tonight, guys, with a big question, and I don't pretend to think that I'm even that I've even come close to completing it. Perhaps that's why we've got seven more weeks ahead of us, guided through by Pete Greig, to work through all these ins and outs, the complexities, the struggles, and the beauties that prayer always provides. But what we have seen tonight is that prayer at its heart is God's way of revealing to us who he is, and in turn, who we are in him. That God is our heavenly and holy Father, one we can come to wherever we are, however we are, to spend time with him. Trust me, nothing is off limits. And that we as humans find prayer difficult, often making mistakes. But God uses our weaknesses to display his strength and to make us realise how much we need him. To pray, friends, is to discover this God and to discover how much you're loved by him. It's the groundwork, the bedrock 
It's as Pete Greig writes, our greatest privilege, but also our greatest source of power. Later on in our service tonight, my friend Jack will share with us his faith story and it is full of this reminder that throughout life, in the good times and the bad, prayer was, in his words, transforming me. Prayer is the pulse of life. And so, wherever you're at tonight, whether things are feeling comfortable and secure, whether you're a student excited to return soon to Durham, whether your kids are heading off back to school, whether you have something going on in your life that just feels unmovable, the God who loved us to the grave and back is asking you to share your life with him. That's prayer. That's what it's all about. Sharing our lives with the God who loves us. Why pray? Because as C.S. Lewis says, and by this I end, prayer doesn't change God, but by God changes me. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.